What's up, everybody? It's Lee, otherwise known as Intuition, and uh, you're listening to Kind of Neat. Thank you guys for tuning in again. Get the social media stuff out of the way real fast. Uh, follow me at It's Intuition on Twitter, on Instagram, all that shit. Follow my man, Ben Shim, behind the boards, making it sound buttery. At I am database, base with two S's. He's on Instagram too. Slang and mad filters. Uh, you can follow us as a unit at That's Kind of Neat. I don't really fucking tweet that much from there, so you should just follow it because it's not going to blow up your timeline. It just helps us show that people are listening. Check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash That's Kind of Neat, and you can find everything in a pretty package at Kind of Neat. .net it just rolls off the tongue. This week we have in a dude that uh, I've just been seeing around and and that I've I've heard all like my friends tell me he's a great guy and they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, he would be great to talk to. You guys would get along well." And I think we did. He, uh, we had a really great conversation. His name is Clayton Blaha. He's a mover and he's a shaker and he's an influencer and he's a publicist and and you know, uh, I do like to have musicians on the show, but I also love to have people that are involved in the music industry in an interesting way. And I think that um without publicists, a lot of you guys wouldn't know about your favorite artists because the way that they end up on your favorite blog or the way that you end up hearing about them uh, in magazines is because of publicists. And so he's really good at his job. And um, he's an integral part of uh, Skrillex's team uh, and Skrillex's publicity. And, you know, we talk about that. We also get really personal. And uh, the conversation is literally heartbreaking at times. And uh, it, it was just really good. So I'm excited for you guys to hear that. I've been getting a lot of great questions to give advice on. And um, I have one that uh, hits near and dear to me this week. Uh, I'm not going to name the guy's name because I don't want to put anybody on blast, but he goes on to ask, Hey Lee, I'm a huge fan and listener of kind of neat. Thank you so much. I think it's dope that you share your opinions and life stories. So nonchalantly, that being said, here's my issue. I'm a college student from an upper class family and I've got a lot going for me. Recently, I've started talking to and taking out this girl physically. She's everything I could ever want and more, but she's a part-time stripper and go-go dancer, not in school and has been on her own since she was 16. Needless to say, we are complete opposites. I know my family wouldn't approve at all if they knew her background, which is a big deal because I still live with them when I'm on my breaks. But I really like this girl. What's your opinion on the situation? I love this question. It's a question that hits near and dear to my heart. I have many, many views on exotic dancers, and I too have dated an exotic dancer in the past, and I too was very conflicted about it, and I didn't quite know how to handle the situation other than getting out of it, which was the choice that I decided to make. But first and foremost, uh, I want to say that there are different types of exotic dancers. There are dirty strippers, and those are the ones that secretly take money to do extras, as they call them. And there are clean dancers who don't do that sort of shit and look down upon those girls. And there are girls who are literally just putting themselves through school to do it. And then there are girls who that's the lifestyle they live surefire sign to know whether or not you're dating a dancer is when she tells you that uh, she cocktails at a strip club because if she says she cocktails that means she actually is a dancer there's no girl that said that will admit that she's a cocktail waitress at a strip club that's just to hide that's just to hide the fact that they are actually dancers i don't think that dancers or strippers are inherently bad people like i think they're just women that have grasped the power of the pussy it's a very powerful thing and honestly Guys, if women would pay to fucking see your cocks, all of us would be doing it. You know what I mean? Like that is a powerful motive to try and make money to be able to be a hustler and to embrace that power and utilize it. I personally think it's kind of a feminist thing. I don't think it's derogatory uh, if done in the proper context. But on the other hand, some women just don't want to do anything else or perhaps can't do anything else. And that's what they get into. 
the girl I dated began doing it after we started dating and I wasn't happy about it, but I dealt with it and it was hard to deal with. It's hard to think about the fact that a girl you're seeing is getting seen naked by other dudes. Uh, and it's hard to hear about her telling you about the other girls at the club that do perform extras and like creepy guys that come in and the regulars that want weird shit. It's, it's a weird fucking subculture, man. And it's hard to deal with. And I know that my mom doesn't listen to the podcast, so it's like, whatever. Like, I never told my mom that this girl was a dancer, and this was a while ago. She knew that she worked at night, and I just told her – I think I probably told her that she she cocktailed, uh, you know? And uh, it's not an easy thing to cope with, and it's not an easy question to answer. And I think that it really lies within how strong your feelings are for this girl. And – is your family going to be upset by it? Absolutely, because once you tell somebody that a girl is a stripper, that's all they see in them. And that's a shame because, you know, humans are multidimensional and there are more sides to every person and no one is just a stripper. I'm not just a rapper. I'm a dude who does multiple different things. Yeah, your family is going to be upset, dude. And so if you like her, which it sounds like you do, even though it's kind of it kind of scares me that you said physically she's everything I could want because really what you have to worry about is the mental thing that's going on with that because it does take a certain type of person who has had a certain type of past to hustle in that manner. You know, a lot of dancers are fucking nuts. That's real shit. Those who aren't are probably few and far between. And the fact that you are saying, oh, she's everything I want physically may mean that perhaps this is just like a good summer fling for you or something. But if you are into her in a mental capacity and you guys get along emotionally, then it just depends on how much you like her. Because if you like her, you're going to do anything to make it work, i.e. you will help her pursue her actual dreams because I'm sure she doesn't dream of being a stripper and a go-go dancer for her whole life. I'm sure she has other things that she is pursuing in the daytime because that's a night job. You know what I'm saying? So I'm sure that she has other dreams. And if she does have other dreams, and you're from a well-off family, like you're saying, perhaps you will help her to try and reach her other goals or push her in that direction or not push, but just guide her. If, you know, if she is trying to accomplish going to whatever, like going to, you know, college, going to some other sort of school, help her do that. If you're from an upper class family, you probably have a good means of like a good understanding. It's like rich dad, poor dad shit. If you're from an upper class family, you probably understand money better than the average person does. You know what I mean? I'm from a middle class family, but thankfully my mom was really uh, great at at organizing money uh, or handling money. And so she's like taught me a few things and, and, and I'm not as good at it as her. My brother's much better at it than I am, but I'm not completely fucking ignorant to it i know how to like check my bank account and make sure i have the right money but my point is is that you probably have a good knowledge about money and you probably if you say you have a lot of things going for you perhaps some of those are starting your own business or what have you so perhaps you can like try to rub some of that stuff off onto her it's a tough call though man and it can be a deal breaker and for me a big a big part of why i ended it was yeah that was a fucking that's a deal breaker for me it's hard uh it's hard to cope with that like i'm not a completely jealous person but it's hard not to fucking get a little jealous that like a bunch of strangers get to see the same thing as you it's different and it's hard so my advice is follow your fucking instincts you know what i mean uh, not to be too on the nose but go with your gut follow your intuition if you think that this is a serious thing follow it 
help her. Not that she needs help. That's not what I, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying, oh, she made this fucking terrible life decision. Like, hey, man, if you're a dancer, that's your thing. I'm not judging you. I'm not here to judge anybody. Uh, but what I'm saying is if it, if it bothers you and you know that she has other dreams, help her pursue those dreams. Be there to support her. And um, don't act like a fucking raging asshole or, you know, a completely controlling maniac about that. If you think that it is just a fling and you are just into her physically, pull the bandaid off immediately. Don't be a fucking asshole and let someone linger in your life for a long time and let them get emotionally attached to you just to pull the bandaid away because it is a really mean and shitty thing to do. And, you know, I've done that in the past and I feel like a shitty person about it. So pull the bandaid off quick if you think that it's not made to last. Hopefully that advice was good. Hopefully I didn't reveal too much about my love life or put anyone on blast. But yeah, you know, dating a dancer is tough. And that's that's from a very real place. And uh, it sounds scummy on the surface maybe, but you know, she was a really fucking good girl and a nice girl. And, and I don't hold it against her. It is what it is. So yeah, man. That's my advice. Follow your gut and fucking pull the bandaid off quick if you think it's just a physical thing because you don't need – there's plenty of other chicks that you can go out and fuck if it's just a fuck, you know? Yeah. We're going to get right into the conversation with Clayton Blaha uh, of Biz3 and uh, one of the co-owners of Ausla who works closely, like I said, with a lot of artists that you probably listen to and love. And without any further ado, here's the conversation. So you just moved to L.A. six months ago. Yeah, I moved to L.A. Um, because I hated Chicago so much. And I was really ready to do anything. To I don't know. Like, I, I was in a position where I was going to – like my the, the team that I work with and my people that I work with are family to me. And they've done so much for me that I can't imagine not working with them. But I hated Chicago also and it made me a horrible person. It's like totally antithetical to everything that I feel like I hold valuable. So it's basically a soulless pit of sadness for me um and not for everybody i don't i don't speak on behalf of everybody i mean chicago is a wonderful place three months three months out of the year you painted it as such a wonderful place yeah yeah exactly um because i'm an optimist um but yeah so i had to get out and it just wasn't for me um and prior to that i was living in san francisco and i've just always identified as a californian and i mentioned that to sunny um skrillex who's uh who i work really closely with and he kind of was he hit this wave a couple of years ago and it's kind of, he kind of needed to gather the, the troops and kind of reassess and like put everything, everything together. And he really wanted me in LA. And so he was just like, you have to move. And I was like, well, okay. All right. And then my other boss was like, fuck it. I'll open an office out there too. Tight. So they opened an office just cause you wanted to get out of Chicago. No, no. It was because they, she was traveling here so much uh, for Daft Punk's record and um, uh, her romantic life brought her out here. Mm. and uh it's very sexy it is it is uh people look a lot better um i can't even, i feel like somebody in chicago is gonna hear this and just be like what a <laughs> fucking asshole we actually um we don't broadcast to chicago we're blocked there that's perfect so don't worry i like that the geo blocking yeah exactly i don't hate chicago i don't it just wasn't for me and she she felt similarly she had been there for so long and she's like this woman's like my mother at this point so she was move, she she was ultimately was aiming at moving out here and i think that um my doing so was 
catalytic, but not not the reason by any means. You're already you're so smart. You're already using all these big words on the podcast. You said an- antithetical, an- wait, a- antithetical, and catal- cataclysmic, catalytic. Oh, catalytic. <laughs> yeah. Damn, dude. I need to Google a few things before we continue. But first things first. Where are you from? Then it sounds like you've lived in a few places since college. I want to mention real quick that you're like really struggling with the headphones because your hair is so nice right now. <laughs> like, yo, my boy. <laughs> that is a solid problem. To I have. Fall, I, it's because my boy Tim follows me on Instagram. He cuts my hair and I love the guy and I feel like I would be doing him if I don't keep it proper I feel like I'm letting Tim down Tim you've done good thanks man the lineup looks clean yeah Tim does Tim Tim's good man so where are you from originally I feel like like I said I, I feel like I've always identified as a Californian I moved I was born in Arizona okay. um when I, and then when I was like three weeks old my Tucson parents, or Phoenix Tucson actually okay. at the University of Arizona I like Tucson I'm down I've never been I mean I was Since once when I was a born. baby yeah 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 I don't know I played a show that was fucking awesome real, real cool artsy town cool yeah. I didn't know that yeah. Um, yeah. anyhow yeah so I moved from there and then I lived in the central coast of California like Cayucas Atascadero Paso Robles um San Luis Obispo and Templeton till I was seven good barbecue up there is there yeah Really? Like what? Uh, Santa Maria Barbecue. That's where Tri-Tip comes from is Central Coast, bro. Tri-Tip? Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I'm putting you. See, I'm putting it down on the places that See, you live. Feeling blessed. Yeah, enlightened. yeah. So you moved from Arizona to California, and California is where you did like al- elementary school or what? Yeah, yeah, until I was seven. I remember being in California. Some of my distinct childhood memories of California were not being able to wear British nights to elementary school. Why? Because it was like 1989, and they People were, were getting robbed. It was them. a blood. It was a blood thing. Mm. And even in like a Tascadero, it was like this, those aren't like big cities, but it was a thing. And I remember they were, you weren't allowed to wear British Knights. You weren't allowed to wear Raiders gear um, mm-hmm. for the same reason. And everybody, and that was like the starter jackets with like the hottest shit. Oh yeah, you weren't allowed to wear starter. And I was super bummed on all that. But then also I was on my like Pacific, like my uh, like uh, fucking Maui and Sons swag too. And like the jams with the, the the elastic at the bottom and like hella neon and shit. So yeah. I would, Zubaz? Yeah, 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 exactly. About that. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, I'm from Alaska originally. We don't know each other very well, so I, I'm going to throw that out right, there, even please. though everybody that listens knows it. So, but I'm from Alaska, and so Starter was the hottest shit up there, too, because the parkas were like not only very right. fashionable, but functional. Yeah. And I remember like coming down, like I had a, a Raiders one and an Eagles one, like a real, like the black parkas. And I'm, uh, my grandmother actually lives co- close to the Central Coast in Ojai. Uh-huh. We would come down and visit, and we went to Disneyland one year, and it was probably like 80 degrees. And I remember seeing like some gangbanger fools rocking Starter parkas. In, in like, you in, were like in I, LA, and I'm like, holy shit! Like, how are they doing that? It's so hot out. I'm in like a tank top and shit. Like, but you were so ahead of the curve. Like, yeah, you weren't was, even known. Yeah, exactly. So we were we were about that. Um, but anyways, yeah, starters. That's great. Yeah, it was, and I, like I was I was into it, but I couldn't wear it. But I was really into the surfing stuff too. And that was right around the time that my parents got me my first skateboard. Do you associate a lot of your like phases of your life with va- fashions that you were going through? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Um, and I also always tag it back to skateboarding too. Like skateboarding has been. I think I can say, with all honesty, skateboarding is the only thing I've done for my entire life. Yeah. When did you start that? That was like 1989, I think, was when I first got my first skateboard. It was a plastic. It's exactly like the pennies that all the kids in SF- in, in LA have now. Um, they weren't called pennies; they were just called skateboards. Like they had like they had them at Kmart and shit. And I had the blue one with the yellow plastic wheels, and I buttboarded down the hill by my house. Everybody that's 28 years old in 2000 in 2013 it has, has the same story. Like everybody did this. Like, it was like. Everybody had that skateboard. They all fucking buttboarded. And then most of them got rid of it and, like, went on to, like, science and 
being like a human and shit but i just kept skateboarding yeah my first skate was like a big blue monstrosity with like a tail mm-hmm. on the top it had like zebra stripes and then for some reason somebody was karate kicking like it had clear yeah, grip, yeah, clear yeah. grip tape yeah and on the bottom it said space junk it had bright pink <laughs> yeah bright pink wheels and um pink like uh nose guard tail guard, yeah yeah, yeah. Guard. the tail guards like yeah. that served no purpose they were actually they were counterproductive because you wanted to be able to snap farther to, it didn't make any sense and the yeah. rails on the bottom for like when yeah trying to ollie one of those things is probably insane they weighed as much as like a small yeah and i think like you go i think the the reason that i stopped skating at such a young age was because i was like I, probably because of that skateboard i was like i can't figure this motherfucker yeah. out i think i feel like this was, it was a really discouraging technological era for skateboarding and it really thinned the herd going into uh to the early 90s yeah because that was a really bad time for like the mechanics of skateboarding and then also like and then they went into like i mean this is later on but like then we went into like the fucking bearing cover wheel phase with like 45 millimeter wheels that, like that like didn't work either like yeah, the functionality yeah. it, it's really bizarre how like it took skateboarding so long to become like like a functional means of transportation not right. even that it is really now it depends on what city you live in were skate videos your first um soiree into loving music uh, that's what i always hear from skaters. i mean dude yeah it was like I mean, 1,000%, absolutely. So, like, after I lived in California, my parents, when I was seven, we moved to Boise, Idaho. Um, and that's where I, like, we lived together, and they bought a house or whatever. Or they, we rented, and I lived with my cousins for a while, and that was hella week, because uh, my cousins didn't skate. And they just, like, pissed the bed and shit. And, like, <laughs> it was just really, it was... You didn't like to sleep with John John? He pissed right, the bed. Right. It was, it, Sean was like, and now he's like so much bigger than me, and he has two kids, and he's like four years younger than me. Um, but back then, dude. But like, Sean, you used to be the bed. Yeah, dog. <laughs> we used to have hella beef. Sorry, my phone keeps buzzing. I'm it's sorry. all right. Put it on silence. And so, that, so when I was in Boise, like that's when I got really into skateboarding, and and because I was in I was in third grade, and I set up a like that's when I got like a street board with like we were talking about like the bearing covers, like the tiny little wheels, yeah. and like gull wings, and, like. And then I was watching. Um, I think it was probably Fulfill the Dream was one of my first skate videos. That I watched like over and over and over and over, and that's a shorties video. And um, they had the Jizza song, uh, "Pass the Bone, Pass the Bone." That song was sick. Um, that was my first Wu Tang moment. I have a Wu Tang tattoo. Do you? I have a UGK tattoo. It's a it's a carton of cream, and it says "Dollar Dollar Bill." Yeah, y'all. yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, yeah. Wu Tang, holla. P- peas in the pod. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shout I mean, outs to Boise. Who knew that Boise was so fucking hot in the summers? That shit is crazy. It's really crazy. It, it's a it's an extreme weather town. Um, it gets really cold. Uh, it gets cold enough to like, to like s- ski and snowboard. I snowboarded a lot when I was a kid. Um, but also then it gets just cold enough to like snow in the city and then remain shitty for like, like ugly black yeah, snow, like four like months, with, but, yeah. no, but no more than like slush snow. and nastiness. Yeah. It's the fucking worst. Man. Before we go too far into the history, let's like, uh, tell people what you do kind of while, while we're still early on, just okay. so they're like, cause the reason that I have you on is I think you have a, a really cool, like behind the scenes job and you are one of the people that helps, um, you help the world find out about music. And one of the things that I like to do on this podcast is not only talk to musicians, but I like to talk to people who have um, jobs in music. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, that aren't necessarily musicians. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, yeah. So I'm a publicist. Um, primarily, I, I, I wear a lot of hats these days, but my first foray into the music industry and the job that I do to this day um, is a publicist. Um, I work for a boutique PR company called Biz3 out of based in Chicago now in two cities, Chicago and Los Angeles. Um, it's owned and run by, uh, a wonderful woman named Catherine Frazier, who is a boss, an amazing mother, amazing friend, kind of my spirit guide. And, um, 
just she's she's just a very very important person in my life and for those of you guys tuning in um i, I feel like a lot of you guys um who trust my taste and and uh listen to similar things uh uh that i do most of the artists that you like are on biz three real talk like you guys really are nice you guys are fucking killing it man thank you yeah. um it's it's very much in due in large part to her curatorial ear and um the relationships that she's built uh in the industry over the years um and starting and that's like really how you know, I mean, it's it's her, and then there's this woman Dana, um, who's also completely incredible. Um, another man named Trevor, who's a new dad, and he's a very very rad dude. Um, there's like five of us. There's six of us total, I think. Seven of us. Uh, it's this tiny little company based in a living room in Chicago, um, and that is a good deal of my workload at this point. Um, also, I co-own and run a record label with a DJ named Skrillex, um, and I'm also his publicist. Um, and we had, there's three, there's four partners in the label. Catherine, who I just mentioned is one of them. And then he obviously is, a, um, and his manager are also partners as well. Um, and that's about two years old and we've been doing that for, yeah, we've been doing that for two years. And that's called Ausla. It's called Ausla. Um, we've, I think we just crested 52 releases in two years or something. We wow. put, put out a lot of music. Um, a lot of it's really, really, I mean, it's all fucking amazing, but it's, it's also just been such a great learning experience and wearing like a different hat. Um, and kind of using a different part of my brain. Um, and I get to, again, I get to work with some of the most amazing people that I've had the opportunity to even meet. Like I get to have them like very intimately in my life, uh, professionally and personally. And that's, that's, you know, its own reward. That's how that was, you seem like you've practiced that answer is very, that's like a good, <laughs> <laughs> that's like a good political no, no, polite answer. No, I don't have to, I don't have to practice cause I like, I don't, I don't practice saying it, but I practice thinking it a lot because I do think about it a lot. And it's like, genuine. Yeah. And like, like, I feel like, I don't know. I don't. I feel like a lot of people take the, the the things they have in their life for granted. I mean, that's that's a global truthism, you know? Like Absolutely. That, like, yo, if you're listening, there's shit in your life that's hella tight and you probably don't think about it that much. Yeah, it's like the I've been watching The Wonder Years uh, while I do work at home for the last couple of days. And uh, Winnie Cooper was just in um, this play called Our Town. And she goes, it's like about a girl that dies. Right, right. She's like, does anybody enjoy living while they're alive? Because she's like a dead character. And right. that, that's just, you just sum that up. Yeah, I mean that's I I think that's like for lack of a better term like YOLO, bro. Like <laughs> fucking dude, like do it, do it up, enjoy it. Like if you're not enjoying it, you're not doing you're doing it wrong, you know? I'm loving the theme of this podcast right. <laughs> YOLO, bro. Be- <laughs> fucking YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be uh when you go back and listen to this, there's going to be a um, very likely a distinct Drake through line. Um I'm a big a, I'm a big Drake fan. It's not an accident. Yeah. People are so surprised to hear that I love Drake, but I fucking love Drake. I I actually Did uh, he just put out a new song today? He dropped on a song yesterday. Oh, with, um, I'm going to need to get on the internet. Yeah, man. The OVO SoundCloud popping off lately. They keep uploading this bullshit from like the the dude they signed party next door. That guy kind of sucks. But whatever. <laughs> I ride for Aubrey, so, you know. <laughs> So let's get back to Boise. Yeah. Okay, I, right, I love yeah. that you just started a rap beef on my podcast too. <laughs> Sorry, fuck you, party next door. What's yeah. up? No, oh, man. I hope he listens. Yeah, he probably does. We have like a, eight million viewers. Right? No, Sick. I'm kidding. You're in Boise and, and it's it's fucking nasty there, and your cousin pees the bed. Yeah, yeah. That was like third grade though. But you're like, <laughs> but you're skating already because yeah. you're a third grader. Yeah, and I was skating a lot, and um, I, my folks were together at the point at that point, and they they bought their first home. And it was it was wonderful, and I yeah I was skating a lot. I was like learning a lot about marijuana. Um, in third grade already? No, that was like f- when I was twelve. I smoked weed for the first time. Wow, that's an early start. That's what some people say, but then I I, d- I definitely know kids that were smoking weed a lot earlier than that. Like probably nine. Like I d- it's it's weird because like it's just like no matter where you are, kids will find a way to get 
fucked up. Like, yeah. like despite like in Boise, there was like, there was like in sex ed, they were like, you're gonna get crabs, <laughs> and in fucking and in like science class or whatever, or like health class, they were like, don't sniff fucking bleach because that's what all the kids were wow. into apparently. You know, it's like it's like they're like despite what the man was telling me to do, like regardless, no matter where you are, if you live in Compton. You're probably gonna start smoking weed around twelve, for right? sure. And I feel like that's that's kind of just like a, one of those things. Are you a younger sibling? I'm an only child. You're an only child. I am an only child. See, yeah. I, I'm an older sibling, and and my younger brother started smoking weed when he when he was twelve. But that's because he had a fifteen year old brother. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. So it's like you have that uh, jump start. We had it was a weird situation in my neighborhood at that time. It was like because I had I, because I was an only child, I was. A total like I was your friend. I was that friend that's always at your house playing your Nintendo, because my parents wouldn't, couldn't, wouldn't buy me uh, like a Sega or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was hella down with everybody, and I've always, I've always had like a very, very large, close circle of friends. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sensing that you were at other people's house already because uh, it seems like you're foreshadowing some trouble in the family. <laughs> Well, like you mentioned, oh my! You've already said like my folks were still together at that point, and and, and I don't. Well, what were your folks moving around for? Why were you? Why did you start off so, in Arizona and then go to California? And then go they to were Boise? like they were like my dad was like a free love, fucking hippie bro. Like he uh, he um, lived in Berkeley in '68, and that was like his thing. Like he did a lot of acid. Nice. And uh, he lived on um, a commune basically, and he was like he was like this hippie dude. And um, I think that he, I think that was like a big. I think that. that part of him is a big part of like everything that that i i, I hope to to become as a as a whole human you know and he met my mom and they fell stupid in love and um they got married within a year um and they got pregnant on their honeymoon they took me to the place where i was conceived it's along the banks of the grand of the payette river in, outside of boise nice and uh so that yeah, and so then they <laughs> then like, they, this is the bed yeah, <laughs> and then they dipped to Arizona to to have to like make me happen, and then lived in Cali for a while, and then moved back to Boise. But did they have jobs? Yeah, my mom was uh my mom is a graphic designer. At that point, she was a graphic designer for a, a major sportswear company. Oh, cool. Um, at that point, REI. And it was uh, it's called Hind. It's a running company, and at that in like the early, late eighties and early nineties, they were like totally killing it. Nice. But since then, it's become kind of a niche thing. Like if you don't run, you probably don't know Hind. But it's a high end, it's a high end brand. Um, and my dad at that point was he's kind of like after the, the fucking. I mean, because he was like kind of dicking around when he was probably should have been like making a career. You know, as they say, um, he kind of just bounced around and did a lot of things. When I was a little kid, I remember him being a bus driver for an elementary school and I thought that was the coolest fucking job because he would take me to work sometimes when I couldn't get a babysitter. And I was like, just like right on the front of the bus with him and talk to like the lunch ladies and shit like that. Like he was just that's like, very Bronx tale. Is it? I, I that's on my Netflix queue, but I haven't watched it. Oh, you've not seen that? No. Oh fuck. Watch it tonight, dude. All that right, cool. Amazing movie. Great soundtrack. You'll love it. Cool. All right. I will. Yeah. I promise this isn't from that. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. So I did that with him. He also was a janitor at Hearst Castle. I remember that. Uh, that was when we lived in the central coast. Um, Hearst Castle is a fucking amazing California landmark. And, uh, I remember thinking that was like the sickest job, but he was also, he wrote children's books on the side. That was like a side hustle. And that's oh, why wow. his greatest ambition was to write children's books. Um, they still collect royalties off of a couple. He was published a, a few times. That's Nothing dope. major, like no Amelia Bedelia or anything like that. But like, he wasn't the Berenstein's Bears guy. No, no, no. But that was like his dude. Like that was like, he was like someday, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, that was like, yeah. that was like his so, shit. So, I had every Berenstein Bears books and I had like five of them were autographed. Oh wow. Yeah. And my mom was an illustrator as well as a graphic designer. So they, they worked together. So dad know? was a dreamer. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But he was like he was like this weird like wandering cowboy man dreamer. Like yeah. he was like he was super restless, and I'm the same way. I'm like, but like real man's man, like in fix shit and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, 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 and he was always so good to my mom. Like, it was he made me really proud, and like, like wanted to be like, like I've always wanted to be like my dad. And I still do, you know. Yeah. Like he was, um, he was just like a burly, yeah, like a burly dude. That's right. Yeah, and my mom was, um, she was an artist. She was a weirdo, and she's always been like, I think she probably partied really hard in the '80s. She was really into like um, she was really into fine art and pop art and things like that and and just creating and being around creative people, dancing, um, probably coke, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean that's the. She 80s was probably part. a hipster. My mom was probably like if you saw her in like the early hipsters. Yeah, if you, she'd probably be hanging like she's what the EDM chicks are trying to look like nowadays. Yeah, or like even like yeah, like she was definitely like like she would be at like she wouldn't look out of place at like a fucking art opening in LA right now, you know. Tight. Yeah music was a big part of the household or no never no i mean kind of like they had tapes and shit my dad was really into like they had like four tapes that we listened to for like 10 years one of them was the talking head stop making sense eagles greatest hits which is the best-selling album of all time by any artist ever um so it's not a surprise they had that um mom was super into the clash and like the kinks and uh elvis costello dad liked fleetwood mac a lot that was basically it though i mean those are good records to have around yeah though. i mean those, those are, are all fucking great records. like you can't you can't you can throw a rock at a dollar bin and basically hit all of those in like, you know, but, that, that doesn't really make sense. Well, I mean, The Clash and Rumors and I think a few other of those are still all on my iPod too. For sure, yeah. So I I'm mean, down. They're, they're, they're hallmarks. They're great. Absolutely. Great records. But I mean, it seems like it was a creative environment. Yeah, I think more more than it was creative, it was just like, just they let me do whatever the fuck I want. Like, they like, didn't let, let me do whatever the fuck I want, but anything I showed any interest in, they were like, do that. Like, go for it. Yeah. Um. And that was really cool, and I think that ultimately that that uh, that paid off. I mean, I don't know if it paid off, but it's like you know, it's uh, it's currently paying off. How about that? Yeah, I mean, I, it's just like I don't, I don't, I'm happy, you know. That's good. I I'm, think nev- I, I'm never happy, so that's good. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. No, no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> More Fleetwood Mac. Oh, right? awkward. Sorry, I made it awkward. You're in Boise, staying at the cousins, and you say your your folks uh, get their first house. Yeah, my folks moved into the first house, and it was in this neighborhood that was hella kids that went to school with me, but some of them were bad kids, mm. and one of them was a particularly bad kid, and we found out that his mom smoked weed, so we were hanging out at his house all the time, cribbing her stash, and we started smoking her weed and, like, stealing it, and then we were like, fuck you to her kid, because that kid was a dipshit, we just want to hang out with your mom, and then we started hanging out with bro- this dude's mom, and she was like, no. she was like neighborhood mom, like buy us cigarettes, buy us whiskey. Mom, I don't know if also if my mom ever hears this. I don't know if I ever told you about this, but I'll fill you in later. Um, yeah, and she was like, she like taught me what a bong was, and like we would come over. How there. old was this mom? She must have been in her early forties. Oh, okay. and I was twelve and thirteen. Okay, so it wasn't like the neighborhood hot mom. Like no, no mom. not at all. No, yeah, she was yeah. she was hideous. Okay, she was hideous. Uh, I think that was like what she maybe her ultimate ambition. I think she was just lonely, to be honest with you. Um, and she obviously didn't see anything like. She didn't see anything like wrong with somehow like corrupting the neighborhood youth. Like you can go to jail for that. Shit. Yeah, that's some crazy shit. I mean, there, there's like like there's was, something up with that. Yeah, yeah. So I think she she was definitely bipolar, uh, but she was also probably horribly addicted to methamphetamine. Is Boise like a meth town? Absolutely. Okay. One thousand percent. There was meth labs busted in our. I, I I didn't live in a bad neighborhood by any means, but like there's there was meth labs busted within you know a mile of my house yeah routinely yeah i mean it's that's the that's a thing in lower middle class or lower class white neighborhoods it's it's not crack it's meth yeah i mean it's my awful. hometown's just like that yeah exactly i mean dude northern california is the fucking worst modesto is like the fucking yeah. methamphetamine capital of the world yeah or something. for sure 
uh, one year in, in my small hometown, it was the uh, per capita most bus because my town's Jesus. only like 4,000 people and there yeah. was three meth lab bus, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, so anyhow, what do people do in Boise? Like, uh, well, like what's the – is there an industry there? Like pota- is it potatoes? So uh, it's not potatoes in Boise, but in, in Idaho, a lot of Idaho it is. Um, outside of Boise, there's a lot of agriculture. Um, Boise, uh, there, was a, there was a big migration there when my parents moved. Um, uh, there was a big migration because of the tech industry was kind of mm. on, on the upswing there. There's Micron, which is a, a boutique or by, by Macintosh standards, like a pretty small operation, but they were doing well. And they were PCs, and they made it. it was like a gateway. Remember gateway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like fucking cows and shit. Like, mm-hmm. there's a smaller manufacturer outside of or in Boise called um, Micron that made a lot of computers. Also, HP had a factory there. Um, there was like the outdoor industry was like booming or something. Um, but I think that was like generally what what the the deal was over mm-hmm. there in the '90s, um, in the early '90s. Um, That's what you get from the San Pellegrino dudes. It gives you the I bubbles. I know, right? You know Shouldn't be drinking that bougie yeah, water. Fucking sparkling. <laughs> get that <laughs> tap, cause Yeah. Did you stay in Boise all throughout high school? Did you that where you graduated? I did. I graduated from Boise High in 2003. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and it was awesome. And I had a fucking awesome time. And I don't regret being – I don't regret living in Boise. I mean I, I feel like people that live in, in major cities are afforded a lot more opportunities younger. But I also think that I learned – I think I took a lot from being around those people. Absolutely. Um, and I What still, were you like in high school? Skater kid? I, I skated a lot. Yeah, I was, I was also – I was kind of um, – I was really down with like – it was a really clicky school. But um, I was really down with basically all the clicks. Like I was really, really tight with like – the soccer players. I mean, I think a lot of it was I sold weed to basically a lot of these people, and so like I kind of infiltrated in that regard. But in small towns, also, I feel like you have to kind of be a chameleon uh, because there's not enough options to be in one clique. Exactly, and like also, I got like like skateboarding was really cool until like all my friends got pregnant or like got addicted to heroin or like mm. you know it was like like the skate parks that I, I grew up at a skate park. Um, essentially, every day after school, man, I would just go to the, to Rhodes Park. And if it wasn't for that skate park, it opened 1995. If it wasn't for that skate park, I can't honestly say that I would be in a very good position in my life. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. where, like, what I would be doing without without that. Um, and that just goes back to everything else. But, like, th- yeah, so, like, my, my the skaters started to fall off and, like, just, like, drop out, basically. all Like, all my skate friends, like, just dropped out of school. And as soon as we hit high school, like, a lot of them didn't make it out of junior high. Mm. Um, and so I was kind of forced to hang out with other people. And definitely, I was just a huge pothead in high school too. Was the entrepreneurial spirit like early on? Did you, as soon as you started smoking, were you like, oh wait, I, I, there's money in this? No, I think it was just a matter of like, I don't know. I don't think I ever really made that much money. I never really made money. It was just to it. smoke for free. Yeah, basically. I, yeah. Just, I, I just wanted to smoke weed for free and like hang out with my friends um, and just have fun. Like, I, I don't know. I was really, I was really compelled by psychedelics um, at that point too. Um, and so, you know, I took a lot of mushrooms. Yeah. But uh, outside of that, like, I don't, I never really got that into anything else. Um, but yeah, I smoked a lot of weed in high school. That was tight. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I had some girlfriends. That was tight too. Yeah, girls are tight. And girls are cool. Um, yeah. There, there's I, nothing to do in small towns except drink and fuck. That's the thing. Is that like, like, I, I don't, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, what did I do? Like, dude, I skateboarded every day. I drank a lot. I smoked a lot of weed. Did you do good in school? You seem like a smart guy. I actually did really not good in school. Really? <laughs> yeah, I did not do well in school. Why rebellious youth? I just fucking hated it. And I knew it was fucking stupid. Like I, I've, I, I knew that it was like, like I remember, I distinctly remember the, having the conversation. I, I failed algebra twice. No shit. I failed algebra twice. Finally made it up in summer school. Failed geometry once, and then in the middle of, I like was having a conversation with somebody, 
And they were like, you know, you don't need geometry to graduate. And the next day I dropped the class. I was like, fuck that. I'm going to ceramics. <laughs> I was like, this is fucking totally bullshit. And I remember at least it. you can make bongs and exactly. ceramics. Exactly. Yeah. And I had, I had this conversation with somebody and I remember being like, I remember being like, I was talking to a teacher and I was like, like, it was such a typical high schooler conversation, but I was like, why am I learning this? I'm never going to fucking need to know this. Right. And they're like, you're not always going to have a calculator in your pocket. And now I want to fucking go back to high school and be like, listen, bitch, I have a calculator in my pocket all of the fucking time. I can take your picture with it and put it on Instagram too. I got the TI-89 app. Like literally anything that I want to do, I have an iPhone. Like, fuck you. I wasted so much time in algebra and geometry and fuck all of that. I don't ever use it. And I just, I mean, it's not like that, that shit isn't important. Like, yo, somebody has to cure cancer. Like that's that, you know, there's, it's, it's definitely like, you think fourth graders right now are yelling at their teachers. Like, why do I have to learn handwriting? Yeah. I'm just going to be typing all the time. Absolutely. I totally think that I know fourth, I know third graders who do say that yeah. like, my, my Catherine's kids, like he's an, he's a nine year old. Mm-hmm. That, that's like third grade. And he was literally saying that shit the other day. I was like, your handwriting sucks. He's like, I don't, he's like, I don't, I'm never going to need it. <laughs> I like that. You're just punking nine year olds. <laughs> like, I mean, I was, I was like, I was like, your hand, like, I was like, I, do you know cursive? And he was like, eh. And I, I feel like I think they stopped teaching cursive. Yeah. My mom's an elementary school teacher, and I'm pretty sure that cursive has gotten taken out of the curriculum as useless now. It's fucking useless. Oh, dude. The, <laughs> but but he this, terrible. But his his younger brother's four years old. He can pick up an iPad, slide the little thing, cue up a movie on Netflix, and watch Thomas the Tank Engine by himself. Mm-hmm. So it's like, go ahead and do your little cursive writing. They're going to be into porn so soon. It, I mean, I can't even believe they're not. That's something I did in Idaho. <laughs> That's something I did in Boise. Hide porn in the woods? Oh no! I mean, I was I was so internet. Like I've been internet for so long. You've I was been had internet. Yeah. So when I was in high school, that's when I really got into into. Um, when I was skating and then smoking weed, a lot of times, like you know, that gets old or whatever. I got into like hacking and like phone freaking and shit like that. And I, most kids go through that phase, I think, at least back then. And then like I got actually really into like hacking circles and shit like that. And some of my friends got too serious with it to the point where the feds came to their house and like no confiscated like ten thousand dollars in the electronics bought with stolen credit cards wow shit like that i was never that serious but that got me into computers and i kind of was just like and that got me on the instant messenger and you know shit like that chat rooms cybering um, yeah cybering all that shit For and sure. like and that got me into wearsing and then i found out that like with wearsing i could download like software that i can make music with and so i started making beats when i was in like junior high just because i was like I don't know. I was, just, I was just dicking around, you know, and I was like yeah. something, something that I started to do. I started making beats. And um, then at the same time, that was just after I had, I had been watching so many skate videos and getting really, really, really into rap. And like when when the my interest in rap music and marijuana dovetailed, like that's when the shit got super serious. Yeah. And I subscribed to the source. They really like go hand in hand with each other. When yeah. Youth. Yeah. And like and then I subscribed to the source. And it was game over after that. It was that was it. What were the first rap tapes you were falling in love with? Dude, I was such a white kid, like backpack rapper. Like, okay, so one of my homies was a really, really talented skateboarder. He was the kid in our group, crew who like we always thought would go somewhere, like with professional skateboarding. We, he he could have if he wanted to. It wasn't his thing. Um, but he went down to SF on a trip to go film and he he came back with this mix C D and this mix CD had fucking hieroglyphics on it. It had hieroglyphics uh, on it. It had a fucking Raj and Eli on it. Yeah. It had this group from Canada called Isosceles that I still can't find anything from, but that mm-hmm. shit was tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had like, it had just, it had hella project blown on it. It had hella AC alone. It had hella everything. Like it was like everything that was popping like 2001, like 2002, mm-hmm. like, like California underground rap at fucking Oakland blackouts or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, the same shit that opened my world. At exactly. That time. Yeah, yeah. It blew my mind. Yeah. It blew absolutely. my fucking mind. And I learned how to roll blunts. And then I just listened to that fucking CD over and over. And then I was like, this shit is tight. But like, then I, then Wu-Tang was just like, 
Yeah. Like, just like the Triumph video. Like, well, yeah. And that's the thing is I got it. I knew that I had a penchant more for like, quote unquote, underground rap before I knew what underground rap was. Because mm-hmm. like out of all the shit in the early 90s, it was like Wu-Tang was like, that was it. That was the Alpha and Omega to me. And like once I started hearing all these like underground groups that had been influenced by Wu-Tang that like weren't on majors, I was like, oh shit, like yeah. this is this is what it is. I still remember my friend Adam Bue gave me a hieroglyphics tape in like 98 and that was like what really yeah. – got me into the rabbit hole of all that yeah yeah i actually the, the my first rap memory was i was sitting on my couch i was in california i was in i was in third grade it was my the, the house i told you about that my parents bought yeah i was in third grade and i was watching i was fucking addicted to mtv like i would watch the grind on like spring break i would just stay inside and watch fucking mtv spring break and shit like that and i was so i just watched so much mtv and i remember watching um mtv jams or whatever you and mtv raps were you, yeah, yeah yeah and um and and the the uh, what's my name video came on the Snoop Dogg video for what's my name came oh, on the man. one where where you don't a, love me you just love, love my doggy style. style and he turns into the Doberman and then he's and then he bites the dad and jumps out the window yeah amazing it's such a fucking amazing video and my dad fucking walked in he was like more like Snoop Doggy shithead <laughs> and he fucking turned off the TV and I was like this is my shit <laughs> I was like Doggy shithead I was like that's what I'm talking your dad about. had bars yeah I, I try to like tell people like. Uh, I don't know if there's been an artist with as much buzz as when Snoop was about to drop. It was it was insane, insane yeah, dude. Was in '93, like, when Snoop dropped, it was like no one had ever waited for an artist to drop an album that yeah. much. Like it's like what Drake was a couple of years ago is like what Snoop was then, maybe it's, it's, even bigger bigger than that. Yeah, I mean, no one no one fucking knew what the fuck he was. No one had any idea. Like, yeah, and it's crazy to see him still around. He is so bad now, but he's a cultural icon. Yeah, I like I like Uncle Snoop, but yeah, shout out to Snoop. I've smoked a blunt with him. Really? I don't, I don't, even, I don't even smoke weed. Then I uh, smoke a blunt with him. I mean, you got it when you're on. Yeah, exactly. You have to. I have a question, though. About, it, it ties into watching MTV because I, I I tend to ask people that are internet or that are around my age, like, who was the first girl that you searched for on the internet? Because mine was Jenny McCarthy on uh, from Singled Out. Really? And it took one line at a time until her nipples popped up. Dude, I remember that. I remember, like... Oh man, this is so personal. Yeah, I remember. I remember like finishing before the fucking before the picture was done loading. You know, <laughs> the, and, like, the having, and like having you? a floppy disk that I hid behind the file cabinet that my parents' computer was on. You know, I remember. I don't. I don't. I didn't look for any because um, my homies were super good at, at just getting that shit and like putting on floppies and we'd trade floppies and shit. Um, but. I remember. I remember having. How funny the, is it to trade porn on a floppy disk? Because that'd be the only <laughs> floppy thing in the room. Yeah, huh? no, you know what I'm hey, saying? Come on, come yeah. on. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember the Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee video. I remember having the link. Yeah, yeah. That was it. That All was right. like the first porn I remember watching. That's great. Yeah, that's a good one. To, that's an iconic you porn. S- you smoke weed with with Snoop Dogg. I gave dabs to Tommy Lee the other day, and all I could think of was like, I seen you fuck Pamela Anderson. Bang. Yeah. Hey, you know, whatever it takes, that's some very L.A. shit. Yeah. That's a very L.A. shit to ha- shake hands with Tommy Lee. Yeah. When does the rebellious youth start uh, for you as far as not paying attention to school? That's high school, early high school? Were the, it, it was just like... It was, was there whole, trouble in the household? Yeah, well, I I feel like that wasn't even... Didn't even have anything to do with... I don't I don't know. Like, so my parents got... Yeah, my parents split when I was in... When I was 15. Um, my dad was working a night job, and my mom realized that she didn't miss him when he wasn't sleeping next to her. Mm. And... So they started talking about it, and then um, they took me to ice cream and told me they were getting a divorce, and I fucking lost my shit, as anybody would. I feel like 15's late, you know? So I felt like I got a pretty good run out of it. Um, But my pops was like, like I was saying earlier, is that like he, he's a rolling stone, bro. Like he like, he was always on the move, and and he, I feel like at that point he thought that I was, I was, um, I was set. Like he was like, well, he, he, I taught him how to shave. Um, he knows 
you know, my table manners are fucking impeccable. You, you um, already have your learner's permit. Right. And so he was like, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And he did. And so he left and I'm stuck with mom. He was staying in town, but it wasn't like he was around and he kind of, he, he got back into drinking and like, he was just kind of like trying to be my bro, like kind of like, like he, dad He was bro. trying to be the, the neighborhood dad. Yeah, exactly. Like, like He's the neighborhood of, mom. Exactly. And like, but I mean, yeah, he never is malicious, but like, I remember like, yeah, like I'd go over there and there wouldn't be shit in the fridge except for like Hungry Man's and like a six pack, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, cool, you know, do your thing, dad. Like whatever, I can. mom's got me. <laughs> it's, it's all good and then he did and then he left he went to arizona um he moved to arizona when i was a senior in high school mm-hmm. he went to go live with his mom to live with his mom yeah why was she having health issues or just like she was, was yeah, yeah she was having health issues and she died shortly after she died um like 2004 bummer 2004 yeah she had a good run too though that's good that's all you can ask for both mm-hmm. of my grandparents both my grandfathers died while they were in their 50s so damn how, yeah dude. how about that i, yeah, I feel like i'm on a ticking talk right now you know it's rough dude yeah it's hereditary we're only getting we're, our life expectancy is increasing exponentially um i mean they fucking we'll see i've been using this body pretty hard yeah same so but you know what you know what i'm saying uh let's go back to yolo yeah <laughs> exactly. big, we're out here yolo league so uh did you go to college so when i was in high, a senior high school i was gonna graduate my mom was like just fucking graduate like do it like i don't fucking care what you do just graduate high school you're not gonna live here after your senior year of high school, so you got to figure that out, and just fucking graduate, and we'll figure something out. And at this point, her, she had a business. She moved when she moved to Boise. She started her own business with the two partners. Eventually, they both split. Mom was running it out of the kitchen or out of the the guest bedroom, and um, she was like, you know, she had her office, but then she moved into the house. I, at that point, I didn't really realize, but I think things were probably not doing so hot at at, at the at the office. Mm-hmm. You know, her number one priority was to like. Just fucking get me out of the fucking house. Because she's out here trying to YOLO too. Exactly, dude. And she, she'd she been married since she was 21. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was tra- definitely trying to YOLO. And then – so I had the source. I told you I subscribed to the source. Mom thought that I was only into black chicks because the girls – because I would cover my wall. The only magazine I had around was, was the Thrasher source. and the source. Yeah. So I'd put up like some fine-ass women, but they're all – It's all like, Trina and Little Kim on your wall? literally Trina riding a fucking like blo- inflatable dolphin uh-huh, right next yeah. to my bed. And I was like <laughs> – diamond princess like that was my first love and then uh and so mom was like (laughs) yeah mom killing it and then uh so in the back of the source there was an ad for this school called full sale which is uh, that's the one that they advertise on tv was like hey you're sitting on the couch right now why are you sitting on the couch get up and make a phone call you could you could be timberland and i was like yeah tight i was like this i was making beats on my computer all my friends were like yeah this shit's tight like it's a bunch of fucking (laughs) white stone kids in fucking boise idaho getting a little liquid courage and um i went to i went out to florida i went i went to florida for one year thinking that i was going to be like like make some beats and like like be basically be scott storage like you know, and then yeah. uh, that was 2003, and I moved out to um, to Florida. I moved to Orlando for one year, and I went to school for like 50 hours a week. It's like you do a two year program in one year, and I fucking hated it, and it was fucking awful. I smoked. Orlando's kind of butt, dude. Okay, oh, Central Florida is real, real booty. It's real bad, and it wasn't like like the, it was also like weirdly crime ridden. Like, yeah, it's not like it's not like like Disneyland is. There's like a fucking fence around Disneyland, and the rest is just. Like, I was I was in Orlando last year for the first time, and I. Uh, just to fly into the airport because we were heading to um, Daytona. Mm-hmm. 
And it was so surprising driving, like driving from the airport to Daytona. Like you're, it was literally like the sticks. Yeah, like it, it was shitty. a fucking hick town, yeah. dude. You know, no shots fired at fucking Florida. We, but we fuck with you, Florida. Yeah, I fucks with you, but like I was really surprised. I was like, this looks like my hometown. I'm like, this is weird. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected it. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Um, it was really weird. In Orlando was just bad, and no, sorry, Orlando. I don't. Uh, um, <laughs> But also, I didn't like have a great experience there. You know, I, I I was going to school a lot. I hated my roommate. Did um, you have a car? I didn't have a car. Yeah, that's a bummer when you're in a new yeah, place without a car. Exactly. We got hit by Hurricane Jean. There was a mm. four four day blackout. Fuck you, Jean. Yeah, it was bad. Actually, my mom. So weirdly, my mom um, for that that Christmas had given me a phone card, and my dad had given me uh, a headlamp for Christmas. And then in February, I think it was Jean hit. And I was the only motherfucker on the block, like on the only fucking motherfucker in my entire apartment complex that could make a that phone call. lights and a phone. Yeah, and I had a fucking headlamp. Damn, survival, survival yeah, kit. Yeah, it was tight. Um, the blackout, that shit will make you really realize like that you see the depths of human depravity when, when you don't have gas or, or air conditioning in Florida. And Did you flush toilets and stuff? There was tap water, but it was contaminated, so you had oh, to boil it. Holy shit. It was bad. It was really, really bad. There was looting. There was lots of looting. People getting stabbed in line at the gas station and shit like that. Damn. Yeah. That sounds crazy. It was really gnarly. Man, um, Florida, clean your shit up, dog. Yeah. Chill out, Florida. Yeah, so I got the fuck out of there. Yeah, um, so you lasted a year there. I mean, how did you like Full Sail? Was it- Full Sail was a complete joke. It was a fucking nightmare. Um, everybody there had basically been duped into it the same way I had. Yeah. Um, and I made the most of it. I got, re- I actually got really good grades um, that one year I went to college. Was it accredited? Like, could you actually get a yeah, bachelor's there? I have an associate's. I got an, an associate's, associate's degree. Oh, shout out. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I got the vocabulary. Too. Yeah. No, I got an associate's degree, and I really, I really learned a lot about electronic music actually in in florida florida breaks were a huge thing at the time and my roommate introduced me to drum and bass he was from sacramento actually and i was like this what the fuck is this stupid techno you listen to and he's like no nah, it's like rap only twice as fast and i was like oh and then when i heard that i was like how do you mix it and i like jimmy his lock when he'd go on when he'd leave town he would go he would go home for the holidays and i i couldn't go back so i would jimmy his lock on his room and um i just taught myself how to like it was the first time i learned to mix vinyl was on my roommate's um He's a hip hop. He was like a rap head too, um, Filipino cat. So you know he could scratch. Yeah, amen. Um, shout. Out. Uh, he's Korean. Don't worry tight. about it. <laughs> so he could break dance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shout out to the database. <laughs> um, yeah. So he was he was hella good at, at scratching and DJing, and he he wanted to like teach me until I was a fucking horrible roommate, and we hated each other, and then I could only use his turntables when he wasn't there. Um, so that was tight. That was cool. I learned a lot about music when I was out there, but none of it from Full Sail. I also saw cocaine for the first time out there, but didn't do it. I did do a lot of mushrooms while I was there. Yeah. Um, I mean, you didn't do coke till you met Tommy Lee, obviously. Obviously, yeah. Last night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, so then I, I dipped and I moved back to... Um, Boise? I moved back to Boise. Did mom um, let you move back in? No, I stayed with my I stayed with my dad and he... It was a really weird time in his life. He was staying in a one-bedroom apartment. I had an, an uh, ASR-10 at the, uh, that I bought when I lived in Florida. And hella wax. I had hella vinyl when I was out there because I had nothing else to do but dig for wax and skateboard and go to school because uh, I didn't have any friends. Um, so I made a lot of beats out there. I had really kind of like stepped into the beat shit and like got, started taking it seriously. And I had an ASR-10. And then I, when I moved back to Boise, I only took my records and my sampler. And I set up shop in my dad's fucking one-bedroom apartment. And um, well, it was a two-bedroom apartment. It was, it was a small two-bedroom. And I, I um, set up shop out there at the foot of my bed was a sampler. And I just... I'd just make beats and like wait for my friends. Did you have a nom de plume? 
I had so many. Yeah. I was, what, what I was, was making your... beats. I was like, the stereotype. Hell yeah. That was, it was such uh, a... Shout out to DJ Stereotype. What's yeah, up? Yeah, the back... Like the most backpacker fucking name. Um, <laughs> One of my friends' names is DJ Stereotype. You, oh, really? you, you know him. You probably know him. Really? Yeah, he's a like part of Ham on Everything. Oh, no, no. Mine was The Stereotype. The Stereotype. Okay. Um, and then like, I fucking had, uh, like the art of fact and they were all like, they were all like, <laughs> the art of fact. you know, you know what I'm saying though? <laughs> That's like, amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, oh, I mean, that- I'm still stuck with a backpacker ass rap name. Like I fucking hate my rap name, but I'm not going to change it. Cause I feel like that's a desperate last ditch effort. I'm but, saying, you know, intuition is a very backpackery name and, yeah, and that I mean, comes from a backpackery time. So I'm, I'm owning it. Yeah. I mean, and as well, you should, if I, I know fucking Johnny come lately. What's that? I said I'm no Johnny exactly, come lately. Exactly. You know you're OG backpack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean that's that and and fucking shouts to you because um cuz that's could, the, that's the art of fact, you know. Yeah, well you kept doing it and I was just like, "Uh yeah, but the difference between us is I kept doing it, but you are now making money off of it, which is which is smarter. So how did you end up leaving Boise or like what was the inspiration to like – So dad was like – that was – I mean as you can imagine, it was a super bummer scenario. He was drinking a lot and like just not being a productive human and all and night, still like growing out. Like was he – He was just chilling, watching golf and drinking like Johnny Walker mm, and like mm. – <laughs> and, uh, and like 7-Up, like this weird pink 7-Up yeah. they had for a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was his shit. And then – um. So he was like, you got to do something. And I was like, okay. Were you helping pay rent or anything? No, a, no. You didn't have any menial jobs or nothing? No, it was a very temporary thing. Mm-hmm. It was it was, it was, was just a landing pad while I figured out the next step. And then I was there for probably three months. And um, he was like, you got to fucking figure something out. So I was looking up. He's like, where have you never been? And I was like, I've never been to San Francisco. And he was like, do you know anybody in San Francisco? And I was like, I know absolutely no one in San Francisco. And he's like, you should probably go there. And I was like, what drew you to San Francisco in your head? Like what? what skateboarding, what, skateboarding, skateboarding. And like, then I was like, and then I realized quantum projects, um, which is black delicious label alphabetic aerobics was like the anthem when I was in high school or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, I was a huge black delicious fan. Um, shadow, Latirix, all that. And, um, I hit them up and they're like, if you come, we'll interview you for an internship. No guarantees. No shit. Yeah. And so I went down there and in the, in the interview for fucking, for that internship, they were just like, so like, they're like, so did you go to Full Sail? Do you make beats? <laughs> exactly. They're just like, why do you have an associate's degree in beats? They're, they're, like, they're like, why are you here? And I was like, oh, I moved to San Francisco to intern for you. And they're like, oh, well, I guess we have to give it to you now. <laughs> I was like, yeah. They're like, well, we can't be assholes. Yeah. And so I got off the train. I got off BART um, and I had a backpack and a skateboard and I walked three blocks to the hostel where I was staying. And um, I was there for three weeks and I couldn't find a job and I was hating it. I had, um, Dad had bought me a one-way ticket, uh, and I had a gra- I had some graduation money. I had like two grand um, in graduation money, um, and I blew through that super fucking fast. And I was like on my last hundred dollars, and I got a job at um, the Starbucks across the street from the fucking from the hostel I was staying at, and that gave me incentive to like stay there and finish the internship. And I did the internship for about a year, maybe less. So you than stayed that. at a hostel for the whole year? No, I stayed at a hostel for three weeks, and then I got a I got a fucking closet. In Ch- I got a closet and a house full of ch- 22 Chinese people in the inner sunset. I was the only English-speaking person. The room was $325 a month. It had one window. Uh, it wouldn't fit a twin bed. So they had like this fucking like – it was a like, hammock? Yeah, it was basically like a fucking wooden table with a fucking foam mat on it and then a tiny little TV in the corner. And then I opened the door and I was like out. And like this ch- – So I, you were getting laid constantly in San Francisco. Basically. <laughs> um <laughs> how, how do you even find a place like that? Craigslist. Wow. And it was it was like how many for, people did you share a bathroom with? Um, I I was fortunate because that that little room was on in the main apartment, um, which was uh, this dude Peter Chen and his wife. Peter spoke almost no English. His wife spoke 
absolutely no English. But shout out to Peter Chen. But, fuck, that dude saved me. So, dude, that guy is like top five dead or alive. Like, See, that guy, without, probably, without Peter Chen, you guys wouldn't know who Skrillex is. Yeah. No, I'm nah, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nah, nah, nah. But he, uh, <laughs> yeah, Peter Chen, was, he was the homie. He hooked it up. And he, um, I shared a bathroom with him. He was like 65, 70, and his 78-year-old wife or whatever. And that was disgusting. And um, twenty two people that saw this. But there, so and, crazy. and then there was yeah, there was four stories. It was basically like a flop house for Chinese students because yeah. it was right by the university. Um, so I never ever met like anybody else in the house. I would just come and do my thing. Wow. Um, but she was such a sweet lady. She would bring me Chinese food that she cooked all the time. But if you've ever eaten authentic Chinese food, you know it's fucking disgusting. <laughs> so she would like bring me this little bowl. You are of, like, offending so many people. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. Uh, fucking wait, 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 we got Florida Chinese people. Chicago, Chicago, like wow. Yeah, my mom, my, <laughs> my own mother, and like she'd bring me this food, and I, she'd like sit there to watch me eat it, and I'd be like, "This is so good." Oh, you gotta choke it down. And then I'd fucking like have to take a couple bites and be like, "I'm going." In. But she, would she bring you a fork or chopsticks? She bring me a fork. Yeah, that's it's so funny. <laughs> from there, I, I found another. I found another spot. Um, I moved in with a dude from Starbucks. Um, I moved in his apartment, like subletted for the summer. I met a very, very, very close homie of mine um, at that Starbucks who worked at a record store around the corner. Um, he started. He would just come in and get coffee every day, and I was like, "You look like you like rap music." He's like, "Come see me at the record store." And um, he's my very good friend Lauren. Um, I love that dude. He's like a very, very close friend of mine to this day. And uh, we, he got me a job at the record store, and so I quit Starbucks. I actually spilled scalding hot coffee on a swedish toddler and fucking started screaming at their at, at their parents and then i literally pulled a scarface like from from um you're like fuck you I'm I, out. I was literally like fuck all of you i'm out of here wow and i took off my apron and walked out and then i got a job at the record store the next day that's crazy but you were still interning the whole time i was interning until like three weeks into the record store job and they were like you know what you've done plenty what did you learn while you were interning no, I mean, I learned how to package this record promos. I, re- I learned that you used to ship vinyl, you used to send vinyl promos to DJs, huh. which is crazy. Um, uh, I still talk to a dude that I interned for all the time. He's he's like really, they're both like really high up at, at Apple, I think now, no in shit. iTunes, no shit. Um, which is great for them. I didn't learn much though, but they hooked me up with a studio in Oakland um, where that, that like I could, char- if I brought in my own clients, I could charge them $10 an hour and use the equipment. That's when I learned that I never, ever, ever want to work in a recording studio. And that's when, like, the whole shit changed. I was like, I'm never going to be Because that was the initial dream. Yeah, I wanted to be an engineer and, like, yeah. a producer and all this shit. And I was like, never. I was like, never, ever. I never wanted to do that again. Um, but I was working at the record store, and that was cool. And then from there, I met another cat through him uh, who got me a job as a bathroom attendant. In, um, at the club? Uh, it was a really, really nice restaurant that mm-hmm. had, like, a clubby vibe. And from there, I started um, – I, 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 I liked it. I took to it really well, and they loved me. And I'm to really, being a bathroom attendant, like the dude yeah. who like gives you the towels. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Do you want to buy a cigarette for a quarter? Yeah, exactly. As I do. Did you used to give out like sagely advice? I feel like some, <laughs> sometimes those guys are very wise. Like I try to, I try to tell people not to fuck in the stalls, but they just did it anyway. Um, Get out. So it was like that kind of place. It was That's like, crazy. It was pretty. It was pretty bad. Um, wow. But I went from that. Like I did that. Um, then I went to Busboy. Then I went to Food Runner. I went to Barback Bartender. Um, a server um, all, all at the same place yeah so you just worked your way up the chain yeah in four years and now you're the head chef exactly no, I, I wish it, sh- it closed down actually i left when they closed i met um my first love there though um i met the woman uh who totally changed my whole shit at that time and made me want to be like a better person yeah man like she i talked to her today i talked to her every day she's like one of my best friends still women can do that yeah she's incredible and she was like a super super talented young chef and she moved on um we moved in together ultimately, and uh, we had a dog and a cat, and her career fucking took off. And like, she's actually in the other room. Come on out. Come no, on I'm, out, I'm just Allison. kidding. I'm kidding. She, uh, she's an editor at Bon Appetit now. 
Oh, it's sick. Yeah, she, she's killing she's it. She's doing good. Yeah, she's killing you it. You guys are, were like a young power couple. You just didn't realize it at the time. Yeah, yeah, that was the idea. Mm. Um, but I was, you know, I was very, very into my ways of being... Um, Did you guys start living together? Yeah, we started living together, and she taught me how to cook. And I'll never, I'll never be able to thank her enough for that. Um, the, whole, the whole shit, like the whole restaurant thing and being with her, and like it, she just turned me on to a whole world that I didn't understand. That was like when the Food Network was cracking, and like... That just being there for that in San Francisco at that time, like 2005, it was just... That's a culinary mecca. Yeah, it blew my mind, and I got really into it, and I was making fucking tons of money. Like, it was, like the money that you made waiting tables in San Francisco, the money you can make is insane, because they're forced to pay minimum wage, which is $10 an hour. You walk out with $400 in tips, it's like... You're doing good. You're doing a lot better than people with college degrees in a lot of mm-hmm. cases. Um, I was living in Santa Barbara for quite a while, and, and up there, that's pretty much all there is is a service industry. So a lot of people that were born and raised there, they end up being waiters at like really nice restaurants. And like my friends that are waiters are fucking caked up, dude. It's crazy. Yeah, it was it was incredible. It was a great time. I had a, I had a fucking blast. It was amazing. Yeah. And then um, after that, like uh, I, I we just broke up because I was I was young. We were really young. We were too young. Yeah. And she moved. I feel like you always meet the best one too early on or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and like, then you spend the rest of your life trying to chase that same one, or yeah. but uh, like a different version of her. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny because my I don't know I don't even know what my type is at this point, but it it's not, <laughs> sorry I was it's not her, uh, <laughs> but she's like one of my best friends. Like to this day, I talk to her every day. Like she's literally one of my closest friends and one of the people that's dearest to me. I think she would say the same thing about me though, for sure. When the restaurant closes, is that like the end of your San Francisco tenure? No. So what happened when then? Like that kind of happened around the same time that we broke up, and I moved into a, a skate house. Right as they opened Potrero del Sol Skate Park, which is one of the best skate parks on the West Coast, I think. Uh, it's fucking awesome. It's an awesome park, and it's in the Mission. I lived in the Mission. The energy there was so fun as, like, just being – skating, waiting tables, all the food, like, all the restaurants started opening up down there. It's like, first wave of heavy gentrification, and I was, like – I was, like, riding it in a very real way, and I felt great about it. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was it was dope. And I lived in a house with nine skaters, and we built a ramp, and we had fucking barbecues, and we drank a lot of beer. And I I was DJing at the time. At that point, I had gotten really into DJing and promoting. I was throwing parties in SF. What were you DJing? Uh, I started doing club stuff, like more club music. And I had met a friend named Carlo in the process of the whole whole thing, and he became is another one of my very very close friends. And I really really wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without this dude. And he um. He turned me on to electronic music like full on, taught me how to beat match, taught me how to mix like 16 bar intros, taught me how to rock clubs and taught me how to like just basically how to throw parties and, and do that kind of thing. And it was through him. Um, were you guys throwing like warehouse parties? Or were you throwing like house parties? What we, kind were of parties club, were we were doing club, club, club nights. Yeah, we, we had this party called Damn Gina that was a super, at a super, super nice club. Shout out to Martin. Um, yeah, dude. It was at a super nice club called The Ambassador that couldn't do anything on the weekdays. Like there was just their audience was just not there for the weekdays and they needed to fill it. So we were like, give us $2 drink night and, and let us tear it up. And we did. Like, we got, there was like, we eventually got asked to leave. Like, we blew it the fuck up. There was like a two-hour wait mm. every Tuesday for a while. Um, it was sick, man. It was cool. It was a really, really gnarly, gnarly fun club night. Um, Damn Gina, $2 drink, shout out, just stopped. It just, it just, just. What years was this? What? It was like 2000. I want to say 2007 or 2008 until 2010. Do you think you moved into the dance world more because like the backpacker movement was kind of over at that point? Like there wasn't a big hip hop scene going on uh, like other than the hyphy movement in San Francisco. Um, not at the time. Yeah. A lot of it was shutting down. Uh, yeah. I feel like the backpacker shit like – I don't know. It was like – it was still wasn't definitely like – it wasn't a thing. But but Mac Dre had just been murdered and it was like – it was seriously like going – it was the the whole city was going so crazy. Still, um, there was some seriously like 
the energy in Oakland especially was was pretty palpable. And I had I had gotten into um through skateboarding and through uh just through skateboarding and like and this other job that I was working for a sec, I met people who were connected with Thrasher magazine. And um I think that I started writing for them at a certain point. Um and a lot of the stuff that I was covering was like was like deaf jucks and things like that. Like um the, it was like the post deaf like post deaf jucks like win like big era. Um but it was like it was like uh, and like atmosphere. I'd, I'd always been super into atmosphere, but like there was still like there's still shit coming out. That was like like and it wasn't exactly happening in California, but there's so much shit like that that was happening elsewhere that I could kind of tap into that. And like it was still intriguing to me. Um, but at that time, I'd also really gotten familiar with like the hypey shit, and I was a huge student of Mac Dre. You were just out there trying to function. I was out there trying to function, and I became you know I became like historically very familiar with the entire like like just Bay Bay movement and mm-hmm. the bubble, and it really is a bubble. And anybody who says it's not is like. When you live there, there's like there's there's people that are rich off the bay that don't leave and mm-hmm. that you've never heard of, like, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that's now coming to light with his records being like totally like like the expose, you know, and then turn it like all that shit. But it's um it's still like such a, to me it's still one of the most intriguing rap scenes in the world mm-hmm. uh, in the country at least, um, and they produce some of the most unique artists. So that was always like really compelling to me. And at the time, I was writing for Thrasher, and I kind of saw it as an opportunity to like just kind of dig in further with rap music. And then the electronic stuff was just paying my bills. Like, really, I didn't really listen to it as much. But at that, at a certain point, I started to, and it's I, like, I'll, to be dead honest with you, I took ecstasy for the first time. Uh, <laughs> and you got it. And I got it. And yeah. I understood. And I, I tried to make out with a lesbian, and then her, her girlfriend, like, got super bummed out on me. And then, like, mm. I left the rave. Mm. But that was, like, it really was that. I've know? always I, I've always kind of said, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I always say, like, all the smart backpacker DJs got into dance music at the right time. And it's weird because, yeah, you're totally right. And, all and, and like, all of that rap shit was going on at, um, like, at raves. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like the far side used to perform at raves. Like, mm-hmm. J5 used to perform at raves. Hyro, all that shit. Like, they, there was always a rap room. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, I wasn't even there. But, like, mm-hmm. this is what people had told me. And so, like, was that, that – I mean, that's where you saw, like, it was cool. It's cool – I don't think a lot of people understand how tight, like how closely affiliated like ecstasy was to rap music in the Bay for so long before it's like, now it's a national thing. Obviously it's like in every rap song, but like, mm-hmm. I but, mean, Rick Ross is out here putting it in bitches drinks. Yeah, you know yeah exactly. Exactly. Oh, shady ass Rick Ross. You should know better. Yeah. It's, 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 but yeah, I mean, that's been a thing in the Bay for a long time. Throwing the damn Gina party. Is this kind of where you got your first idea of like, Oh wait, I'm, I'm good at promoting things. I'm good at putting people onto shit. It was more like – it was like through that kind of thing, I, I just kind of realized I was good at being friends with people and then like good at meeting people and I've not, not – I don't even I don't even think I ever thought of it that way. But it was like a thing where I was like – I just had a lot of friends and I, I liked having them all in the same room at one time and that became very profitable. Um, at the same time, I became – you know, ugh, I hate using the word but like interpersonal skills or like something that like you can't really teach somebody I feel like. And it's yeah. something that's always come naturally to me and something that I, I – Well, as Gladwell would say, you're a connector and a maven. You know what I mean? <laughs> Who's that? You don't know Malcolm Gladwell? Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, yeah, you would love him. The tipping, you, is the tipping the, point? Yeah, tipping point, yeah, yeah, outliers, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. The tipping point is all about like types of people and the connectors and mavens. You know, that's like why we know who Paul Revere is, but not the other guy who was on the same the same road that night because Paul Revere was a connector, you know, like he had friends. He was good at interpersonal relationships, the same yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I never really thought of that as like an opportunity, as like something that I could monetize. But it's something that, that became clear to me that I was good at and I was strong. It was a strong suit. Yeah. So what happens after that? Where do you – So basically I was waiting tables. I was making a lot of money at doing it. I was throwing this party. I was living um, in a skate flop house, which is great. 
things kind of like in my personal life kind of came to like a really weird, um, like my, my ex, uh, who I, who my first love, the girl that I had moved in with and then just broken up with and had, uh, on so many other levels become such a huge part of my life. Even though we weren't together at that point, she decided that she was moving to New York and, um, I got a call from my, from my mother, uh, and I was in the middle of a shift waiting tables. So we, I guess it was in January, we threw this huge party through the biggest, most successful event we had thrown at that point. And I made enough money and I, uh, I made, I made a good deal of money from it. And I was like, I need to spend this on making more money somehow. Like I need to like, I didn't want to blow it. You know, I didn't want to party the way. And that was one of the best adult decisions I ever made. I probably should have gone to the dentist or something. But instead, I was like, I'm going to go to South by Southwest and figure this out and see what happens. Just go figure it out. And I was going to go as a journalist and, like, you know, cover South by. For Thrasher. For Thrasher. But that didn't really pan out. This um, is when you're, well, this is like, what, 2008? Uh, this is like 2010 in January, in mm-hmm. January 2010. And in February, Allison had decided, my ex, uh, who's at that point still very much a part of my life, um, she had, uh, it was right around my birthday. It was in the middle of February. She moved to New York and it didn't take it well. It was really hard for me. And, um, it was, it was kind of like what ultimately set into a lot of change. Like I said, it was like one of the first things that really started to like kind of shake up my life at that point. And I was waiting tables, um, a couple days later and I got a call from my mother, um, Telling me that my dad committed suicide. Oh my god! And uh, I had no idea that this was going there. Yeah, my pops, my pops killed himself. Oh um, my god, I'm so sorry. In 2010. To hear that. No, it's it's okay. Oh shit. Um, and my dad, yeah, my dad took himself out, and I immediately, I like, I lost my shit. Like my fucking world collapsed. Like I was a, I was um, I, I love my dad. Like to that at that point, he was like all that. Like had he was like. I, I felt like even though he hadn't really been there and like hadn't done like a lot for me in like the last like seven years or something like I, I knew that he was really proud of me and I knew that he he um, he had taught me a lot of good things about yeah. being a man and being an adult and being a good um, just a good person like like just a genuinely like whole individual like spiritually while you were in san francisco had had you guys been in close contact with each other like we talked you... but i hadn't seen him for a long time i mean did you have any the was it a just out of the fucking blue or what like we had talked but it was like it was kind of like he had these health issues he had heart problems he had lost his job he lost his driver's license primarily all due to drinking and he was just in a really bad spot and it became very evident i forgot to tell you there was a point earlier in my elementary school where my parents were in a new age cult um but he wow. he had lost uh, a great deal of like uh, purpose. He had really no purpose. Uh, I had I I kind of taken off and like been doing my own thing. Mom's wasn't really talking to him anymore, and he didn't have anything in his life. And he he never really wanted to be around anyway. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like I never felt like he was like a man of this time, if that makes sense. And so he uh, he left, and I I never felt like I don't felt like he left me. I don't think, I don't, I think that he had done everything that he could possibly could have for me at that point. Mm-hmm. And I loved him and he knew that. And that was the last thing I ever said to him. Um, and when he left, uh, it was just like, I had to do something, you know? Fuck. So you, you fly home, flew home and saw mom and we dealt with it. And, um, his brother was there or whatever, but he never talked to his brother anymore. And, uh, it was like, I was going back to Boise and I saw my mom there and I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I can't be this. I can't have this like as a part of my life. Like I was just like, I have to fucking do something. I kind of felt like I was in a dead end in San Francisco. And I, uh, uh, I went to South by, I had already bought my ticket and all that happened. And I went back to Boise 
And I told when I was in Boise, I told everybody that I was going to get a job at South by Southwest. I was like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to you know go down there and like network and use all these interpersonal skills that I supposedly had um, had figured out. And uh, I went down there. And in the meantime, when I was writing for Thrasher, I had become acquainted with this woman, Catherine, um, because she was sending me press releases and things mm-hmm. like that. And I had talked to her prior because I kind of always figured that the person sending me press releases probably made more money than me about for like writing because Thrasher paid like $150 an article. Yeah. You know, that shit took so much time. So it's like, I was kind of like thought of that as like maybe publicity as like a viable alternative to journalism and maybe something I could do long term. Um, and she, I had read an article about her that said she was waiting tables when she built the company and like all this, she's like really hustled and she's a woman in the music industry, which is one, a very, very difficult thing to accomplish. And she's wildly successful even at this point. She so I covered a lot of her. Well, the way you guys send emails, it kind of makes you want to respond back and start a conversation with you <laughs> That's guys. The idea. You know what I'm saying? Like That's it's it's very like, oh wait, they wrote this to me. Yeah. Even though I know it's probably going to a hundred other people, it's like, oh, this this feels like it's to me. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But at that point, I didn't know shit about it. Like I was just like, oh, I was like, be the yeah, write a press release, I could do that. Yeah, I was like, all right, so I'll go down there, I'll go to South by Southwest, and I'll find her. I was like, how hard could that be? Uh, so I followed her, uh, basically her second hand, her like right hand, this woman Dana at on Twitter. This other dude Trevor, I followed him on Twitter, followed him on Facebook. I was like, I'm gonna find him, you know, I'm gonna track him down. I went to the showcase, didn't see him, didn't get in because <laughs> like, I didn't have a fucking pass. Um, I'm staying at a hostel on like the other side of the fucking river. It was like totally poorly planned. And then, uh, I was like looking for them the whole time. I couldn't find them. I had a, I had a blast. I, I wrote some, some shit for a blog. It was cool. But I left really kind of upset and like a little disappointed in myself that I hadn't made anything happen. I didn't really connect with anybody. I thought that was going to ultimately behoove my, my professional career. And, um, I was in the airport in the Austin airport on Saturday. I left a day early and I, uh, I looked up in the in the security line and I saw Dana, who was her right hand, and I was like, "Fate." I was like, "All right, hey, uh, hi, Dana. I'm Clayton. I write for Thrasher. Sometimes we talk on email." And she's like, "Hey, this is Catherine." And Catherine was like, "Hi, let me buy you lunch." And I sat down with her at lunch and I was kind of just thinking about it. I was like, "I'm trying to like impress her or whatever." But then at the end of it, I was like, "I'll just I'll do anything to work for you. Like I'll, I'll basically throw my life away to come to Chicago and like and learn from you and like do what you do and like I just need a change and it's time for me and." Um, I hope that that's something that resonates with you. <laughs> and she was like, I'm sure she was like, what a fucking weirdo. Okay. Um, but then three weeks later I got a call or like a week later I got a call from her and she was like, uh, if you move here in three weeks, she's like, I'm, I'm, she's like, basically like I'm firing somebody. Uh, if you can be here in three weeks, you can, you can live in my house and you can intern wow. and we'll see what happens. And I got rid of all my shit. I sold all of my, I just left an entire furnished house basically in San Francisco. Yeah. in SF and just dipped and like did it. And I moved out there and I lived there for a year and it was, uh, I, I lived in the house when I first got there and I was like, so jazzed. And I was like, Oh, Chicago's gonna be great. And I immediately hated it. Right. And, um, I didn't like it all. I didn't know anybody and the work was really, really hard and she's not an easy woman to work for at first. Like it was like, she's a very distinct, um, style of, like living right <laughs> you know she's not like she doesn't take it easy on people but you're living for free in the house and the the, the payment is like you yeah you, you intern for her yeah and i had yeah. again i had um i had two thousand dollars that that's all my dad left me um and i i lived on that in chicago for a couple months while i lived with her and it didn't really work out at biz three like it didn't really it was really really at first yeah man it was like it just didn't happen how I thought it was going to happen. I thought I'd hit the ground running, but it was like a really long learning process that took about a year and a half. And I went through some serious, like I went, I've never been more depressed about anything in my life. Like losing my pops was one thing. 
Um, I've lost a lot of people. I've, I've dealt with suicide in a number of contexts um, and just death in general and dealing with shitty life shit. Uh, but I've never been fucking more depressed than I was when I didn't think that I could do that job. Um, when I, I thought I had failed myself and I really, I really, what was it about it that wasn't clicking? It was just an organization. It was just having a desk job, bro. Like things you learn in college that like, I just had never done. Like, right. Keeping being, lists, fucking keeping organized. calendars, organization. That's yeah. a hard thing to get used to when you do it all in your head for exactly. your whole life. It, it's using, it was using my brain in a way that I, I didn't know that people use their brains <laughs> to put, to, to put it best. Like it's like, and it was just, I just was a kid, you know, I was a kid and I was in San Francisco and I think that I love you, San Francisco, but I think it's a really great place to kind of live in an infinite, um, adolescence. And I definitely was doing that. Like, and it was, I had, I had no responsibilities and it was incredible. And I'm so glad that I did that. I'm so glad that I didn't like, I've, I've always been like, I've always been a super ambitious person. Um, it's never been, I've never been one to rest on my laurels. It was just that like, I think my ambition was misplaced or not even misplaced, but placed elsewhere in terms of, um, in terms of like, in, in, when I was in San Francisco, like I really wanted to learn to scratch and I taught myself to scratch. I really wanted to learn to be a good DJ. I learned how to mix records. I learned, to, I wanted to throw a good party. I did that. I really wanted to make tape, like wait tables and learn a lot about food. And, and I did that. Um, but at a certain point I was just like, I need to get my shit right. And like, none of this is paying my bills. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, none of it's like going to ultimately buy my mom a house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went to go work for Catherine and when I went to biz three, it was like, Oh, <laughs> that's like that was some serious shit. Like not only did I have to do a grown up job, I had to like fucking go to the dentist. Like I had to fucking go to the doctor. You know, I had to like like pay taxes and that was all shit that I learned there too. And I think it was just kind of like um kind of like a landslide of responsibility that I, I didn't know that I thought I was ready for, but I really wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it was really formative. It was like I've never like I said, I've never been so depressed in my entire life. I went forty eight I went like three days without sleep. Uh I just paced my house. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a horrible anxiety attack for like three days and I, I became so, it's so fucking cliche. I became suicidal. It's, it was like, I just had this horrible fucking, like, like I snapped basically. Mm-hmm. I like fucking snapped. It was mm-hmm. really, really rough. And this was at Catherine's house. This was a, just after I had moved out. And I really thought that I was like, like I had, I had been doing it in Catherine. It was like, good. It was, it was, it was going well enough. And I thought that I was learning and I was like, I, I invested in the Chicago finally. I was like, I'm not going to do this unless I'm going to fucking do this, you know? And, um, so I did and I, I made friends and I, I've, I developed a really close circle of friends of good friends and, but it didn't stop me from the, this, the fact that like, I felt like I wasn't going to like build anything of note. Um, at that point, like I felt like I was gonna lose my job at any minute. And, um, ultimately they turned that around and I, 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 I worked 12 hour days and I, I, and I, if I wasn't going to be the one that, that, that did it the best, I was definitely going to be the one that wanted it the most. And, um, I have so many fucking personal shortcomings, um, then and now and forever. But the one thing that I fucking will put up, I'll fucking put it up against anybody. Like when I'm going to fucking do something, I fucking persistence. I'm going to fucking do it like, or die trying. And I basically almost died trying, but I fucking did that and it was great. And I, it, it became one of the most fruitful relationships of my entire life. My relationship with Catherine has been incredible um she's she's a mother to me she's a she's a confidant she's my one of my best friends it's scary when a mentor figure comes into your life and you realize how kind of much you've been not reaching your potential before do you know what i mean like learning about all the shortcomings that you have from a mentor figure can really shake up your life like that happened to me a couple years ago and like 
I didn't realize what a fuck up I was before that and like how shitty I was really living my life before that. It is very emotionally jarring and a a mentor oftentimes it can be a love hate relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was like, do you really want people in your life that are just going to coalesce and be like, yo, you're doing great. Yeah. Oh, you're cool. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Like, awesome. Good job. Like, no, I don't, I don't fucking, you need somebody that has the balls to tell you that you're being a piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. And Catherine was that person. Yeah. Um, and she, she, (laughs) I was, she couldn't have been more right. I was like looking back on my life and like the way i was living in in sf it wasn't like you know i was a reprehensible character you know mm-hmm. i was drinking mm-hmm. drinking tall cans in the middle of the street every day mm-hmm. so was there a moment where uh you felt like oh this is starting to click yeah it was like it was when it wasn't validation from her um necessarily as much as it was from other people like and one of those people was sunny one of those people was Skrillex. it was like how did you guys meet um basically Catherine. uh is very good friends with Craig Kalman, who's a um, who's an executive at uh, Atlantic. He's a top, he's boss. He's like a fucking <laughs> like G. Like yeah. he's he's like a the record executive dude. Like he's an OG. He's a really fucking awesome. Yeah, guy. that's my uncle. I know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and he had been friends with Catherine for years, and he approached Catherine because there was basically Skrillex had become this thing that they had signed, and they didn't really like it was. But he was exploding. Like, he was, like, exploding. And they didn't, like, shows. understand or know what to do with it? Yeah, basically, like, it was a major label, and they, it happened so fast that no one really understood it or knew what was happening. And the general public definitely didn't know about it, but the kids were fucking going crazy for this kid, and they had to capitalize on it. And so he called Catherine, who's a, a publicist who's been doing this for, you know, years and years and years. And I remember she stood up in the office, and she was like, her way is to, like, break you in by, like, throwing you in some shit. And like trial by fire, yeah. And and she stood up in the middle of the office one day, and she's like, "Who here knows what dubstep is?" And I had been DJing for the last four years, and like I was like, you know, I, I knew, but I didn't know no. And I was like, uh, I guess I know. And I was like, cool. She's like, you're on Skrillex. And I was like, all right. She's like, he's got a show uh, next week. <laughs> he's got a show in Chicago next week. You have to go meet him. And I was like, all right, cool. And immediately, just him and his boy RH, who's like his road manager at the time, I was just like fucking you guys clicked it was just like it, yeah it was like peanut butter and jelly forever bros yeah it was like it was so sick it, it was like one of those things that like va- it like validates your like like that your humanity like it was like fucking i was just so amped on the both of those dudes just like their energy was just so fucking cool and i was just like i was like that's it bro i was like i get it and i'm down and um i worked really hard for them for a long time and i met their whole team and this is what in 11 this is 2011 yeah yeah and we got a and I, you guys uh, have accomplished a shitload in two years. Then, <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been a, fucking crazy. It's been a sick. It's been a really fun ride. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, yeah. That and then like after that, it was just game over. I was like, I, they were people that I always wanted to work with, and I knew that. And there were people that would push me and like keep me like in a different, um, just in a different like. I don't want to even say like I knew they would take me places like or, like or like anything like that. It was just like I fucking loved working with those people. I felt appreciated. I felt really really appreciated by them at that point. And I felt like um, I felt like they valued me, and um, that's. And well, I also, it's and great when you can work together and everyone values everyone. You yeah, know? If, yeah. When it's coming from both sides, and no one feels like they're taking advantage or getting taken advantage of, that's amazing. Yeah, and it was also like you, you, it's it's rare, unless you're a doctor um, or a lawyer, to watch somebody change somebody's life like on a daily basis. And fucking, like, say what you want about his music. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Um, ben has a Skrillex tattoo. <laughs> you know, not, it, not literally, it, it's, but he, he it's music it. that doesn't necessarily appeal to the, to the widest spectrum of, of, of fans. But, like, 
it is a huge spectrum though. It, now, even if it's not yeah, a wide spectrum, there's a lot of motherfuckers that. Are, that's what I'm saying, and the, and no one no one fucks with their with no one fucks with their fans like Sonny fucks with their fans. Like he he is 100. His soul is in is in what he's doing. Like it's like his he's fucking like he's just like invests his his whole being into that. And when people put that kind of thing into their art and into their work, the fan like the, you affect people, you change people, and you change their life. And that is like, you can't really ask for more than that. You know, I'm a rap head from way back. I always will be. I still am. Um, but like when I had the opportunity to work for somebody that I literally know was going to fucking change the way people think about popular music and change, gives people that fucking feeling in their stomach. When you hear that, that song, you're like, that is my shit. Like working for somebody like I still fucking get chills when I think about it, to be honest with you, working for somebody like that, whose fucking sole intent in life is to give people that fucking gut feeling. That is my shit. And that's the, the I always want to be associated with people like that. And I always want to be able to to do that professionally. That's awesome. That was a great speech. I feel like that could have been an end of a movie. <laughs> Sorry. No, that was great. Uh, how did you guys decide to go into business together with Ausla? Basically, it th- as things took off, like he was just like, I was always in the mix, like always being like, what can I do? What can I do? Yeah. I want to do more. Like, show me this, teach me this, t- show me that. And the conversation just came up and they're like, we're doing a label and we're definitely going to need people to like put in sweat equity. Like they're like, we're looking at, you know, we were hoping you and Catherine could could be become partners in the label and and granted it's not going to be sweat equity what does that mean just work it's just work yeah, but like, like, but like leave some skin in the game yeah and i have and but like also like i own a percentage of the company right you know? it's never it, it, at that point it hadn't been profitable it, it you know record labels take a long time to like really generate a lot of capital um but i that's you know i invested a lot of time and and personal labor and and interest a lot of my personal interests went into this this company with the people that i run it with and um, he was like, I think that you guys bring something to the table. And I was like, cool, let's do it. And I, again, like back to fucking back in the office working 12 hour days. But it it was, it took off like immediately. It was yeah. fucking everywhere. And it was like, it felt so good to be like, it still does. Like I'm so, yeah. I'm so into it. <laughs> well, I've been following you on Twitter for a while and I've been, and I've, uh, we used to exchange emails back in the day, whether you remember or not. But the point is that I've known who you are for a while, but I didn't realize like that you were so tied in with that until like only a couple of weeks ago when I saw you post a picture on Twitter of like a fucking five million oh. sold plaque hanging in your office. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The Instagram flex. Yeah. Yeah. I try not to, but like, I, like if you told me like, dude, come on, like you got to post that on Instagram. Like, like that was my, my dude. I remember reading an article in the source back when I subscribed to the source. And it was like, I remember knowing, finding out what an A&R was. And I was like, that is, that's what's up. And I, I was like, I st- that's still like what I want to do. Like, it'd it, be awesome. You know, that, yeah. that, that I couldn't believe it. And like, so I had this, like now, like the label that we run is like, and the, the guy I work for him is a and um, for our label. And like, I, I work on A&R stuff with him. Like, he sold five fucking million records. I couldn't fucking believe it's crazy. it. Crazy. Like, and then that just blows my mind. Yeah. Um, it's not something that that I like to different. Like, I I think all my whole shit is pretty integrated. But online, it might not come across as much because I really enthuse over rap online, mostly Drake. Like, I'm basically just tweeting about Drake twelve hours a day. <laughs> but but I mean, I've anybody in LA or anybody that's around me knows that I fuck with Sunny in a very personal level and a very very much a professional capacity. Too. Yeah, yeah. I know, like we're kind of running long, but and I know we're all both on our way to other places. But I, if we have time, I would love to like kind of break down for kids who might be interested in going into publicity or who think like that sounds like an interesting route. If you could break down like what exactly you guys do, because we haven't really talked about that at all. Yeah, you know what I mean. And like in that, like the curation of the business, like how you guys decide which artists you want to pick up on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, basically a, there's a lot of, there's a lot to it. Um, but in its essential form of publicist is like the, the conduit through which information flows from an artist to the public. Um, and we, we're basically, um, 
a means of communication uh, visually and, and informatively um, through the public. So, I mean, that's, that's on like a grand, like theor- like, like on a more specific level, like specifically I, I send emails to people who write about music. Right. And so say, you guys are the ones, you know about the music that the artist is putting out and you're the ones telling like, Oh, Hey, I go to pigeons and planes. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, yeah. Jake, like th- this song came out. If you like it, you know, whatever. Exactly. And I'm like, and I'll be like, a lot of my shit now is like online exclusives. Like everybody wants exclusive content. So I'm like, yo, I have this video. I want to premiere it with you. Can we time that? Yada, yada, yada. Oh, and then like, Oh, like, like fucking for lack of a better Example, Skrillex is going to be in New York, New York Times. Do you want to write a piece about this show that's going to happen and drop it like three days before it happens? Like I'll let you talk to him. I'll give you these exclusive photos. We'll set that up. Yo, Spin Magazine, fucking what happened? Like the best example in Sonny's career is like, yo, Spin Magazine, fucking this kid is selling out 8,000 8, person rooms. You've never even written a word on him. He should be on your cover. Like that was when – that was a Catherine kill. That was when she, something she set up. Basically like being like iterating to to – the people that, that that generate media, iterating to them ideas and framing them contextually so that it makes sense for their publication. Um, spin fucking put rolling put fucking Kurt Cobain on the cover. You know there was like the grunge wasn't like the shit. Like it wasn't like selling tons of records at that point. Sonny wasn't like a thing. Like he he was, but it wasn't like it is now. You know he wasn't like TMZ. Mm-hmm. Like but the spin cover was like they were like this is important and we're gonna be the first people to tell a fucking huge audience that this is super fucking important. Mm-hmm. And that's publicity. That's what mm-hmm. publicity does to a certain point. And now it's my job to call TMZ and be like, yo, take down that photo. That's bullshit. Ah. You know, at a certain time you become you become defense. Right. For a lot of for a lot of my clients, that's how you know you made it. Right. Do you have to like keep uh, some of your artists in check? Like, hey man, you shouldn't be saying that on Twitter and shit like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Catherine Fraser is the best at that. She's like, a, the, I mean, like life coach. And, and so you, almost. so you guys also kind of decide what what is a good look and bad look for your artists. Yeah, essentially, yeah. We, we just frame their their aesthetic within the public perception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many emails would you estimate that you send a day? Um, on some days, like let's say, like one day this week, I sent around probably thirteen thousand. Thirteen thousand emails. We're servicing major like lists of major people. Like, yeah, press, so you're, you're press pressing it. a button that's automating. How many do you think that you're actually like typing per day? Because I bet that's uh, hundreds, still a shit ton. Hundreds and hundreds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm receiving over five hundred emails a day now. That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you guys go about deciding who you want to fuck with? It's a lot of things. I mean, a lot of the times it's people who need it, like people who are already blowing up and like are like that need direction, things like that. Those are some examples. A lot of times you get on the ground floor with people like this kid Alexander Spit from from. LA I've known for years. I knew him in SF when he was, he was in a group called instant messengers. Yeah. We, of, we've already had him. On. That's what's up. Yeah. I mean like I've been, I had been harping on fucking Alexander Spit for years. Mm-hmm. Like, like this shit is dope. This shit is dope. And then I had an opportunity to be his publicist and like kind of take him to the next level mm-hmm. in, in terms of publicity. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one, no one, I mean, it's like not like no one knew, but like, you know, he's very, he's much more on the, uh, the national radar now at this point. Um, and he's only getting better and his music's taking it to the next level. So yeah, absolutely. It's like people that, yeah, but yeah, I fuck with you spit, you know that. Um, but it's like, yeah, like if you see the potential in people and that's where really where I think that my, my future in, in the music industry lies is, is I think that, that is, is like discovering people when they're much younger and are is essentially what mm-hmm. that's a, a, a key component of it. But I, I've also recently thought about it, and I think that like I'm attracted to potential across like every aspect of my life, like not what something is, but what something could be, and how I can help, and like that is my shit. I think, mm-hmm. like in in my my interpersonal relationships, my professional relationships, my work, myself, like I want to be like I want to make myself better, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
tell me about what's up. You're kind of involved in weird Twitter. Let's talk about that real briefly before we get out of here. Oh yeah, I don't even, dude. I don't. Know. So what is weird Twitter? I mean, weird Twitter. Like it's like fucking Chippy and Britney are the queens of weird Twitter. I oh, feel like. oh yeah. No, I fuck with like I fuck with like hella people on Twitter, but I don't. I don't like. It's just like real life. Like I have like a lot of friends, you mm-hmm. know, and I do my own little thing. Um, but I have like internet friends and uh, like Conrad's actually one of my favorite shout out Conrad yeah well, I'm gonna I, be hanging out with Conrad tonight we'll yeah, probably we'll see both, him at the we'll show. both see him um, he's good on Twitter you know I, I respect people it's communication Like Conrad I, I, is the king of jumping into co- Twitter no conversations doubt, no doubt. what I was saying like exactly what I was saying earlier is like like my shit is like I love communicating with people I've always done that. I was always getting kicked out of class for talking too much you can't talk to more people at once than you can with Twitter and that's why I think Twitter's really amazing and it's like such an amazing like array of people that to talk to and I've, I've, I have, I just don't have, I try not to have enemies. Like, I think I can have like two people that, are, there's two people that are like, fuck Clayton. Mm. But like most people I, I feel like I'm on pretty good terms with and I love that. And I like, I, I can appreciate everybody. I try to. And I think that like Twitter, I think that's really what I love about the internet is that it's like, it's just a, a, a forum for, to like, just hang out with all your homies. Hell yeah. You know? Yeah. So weird Twitter is like, that's one of my little Twitter things. Yeah. But I'm also down with like. I also talk to like hella rappers on Twitter. Mm. I also talk to like hella like dude. My the, my, the most of my followership is Skrillexicans, mm. Mexican Skrillex fans. They're we crazy. found out the power of Skrillex or not Skrillexicans, but we I found out the power of the Skrillex army because we had Penny on the show and <laughs> Skrillex tweeted one tweet about a video and all of a sudden it went from like a thousand views to a hundred thousand views overnight and i was like wow this motherfucker is really influential that shit was crazy so yeah shout out to skrillex that was like one of the dopest things that happened in the podcast <laughs> was one single tweet so yeah man yeah so i fucks with you guys but um thank you for coming on dude dude uh, thank you this has been fucking awesome yeah it's nice to get to talk about yourself sometimes because i'm sure you're like a very polite person that usually lets people talk about themselves you know <laughs> yeah so, no, i just like talking yeah uh, about all kinds of shit yeah no but it was great and i think it was very informative and uh you know maybe you fucking inspired some kids and, and you know your story was interesting That's so heavy bro i can't even imagine yeah well i hope so yeah you're an influencer now man get used to it <laughs> thank you so much i appreciate uh, it I, I, and, I, really and I will be seeing you around really obviously to, uh tell the people uh where they can find you online um you can uh i'm on twitter as young groupon but young like young amazing young. amazing twitter name that was given to me by dana myerson shout out dana myerson uh it's y-u-n-g groupon um and that's you know i'm, I'm on instagram too so hit me all right man this was kind of neat my name is lee you guys might know me as intuition you can find me at it's intuition on twitter shout out to my man ben shin making the shit sound buttery at i am database based with two s's uh, you can find us together at That's Kind of Neat, and uh, everything is wrapped up in a pretty package on kindofneat.net. So thank you to Clayton. How do you say your last name? Blaha, B-L-A-H-A. It's, kinda, it's phonetic. That's what I figured, <laughs> yeah. but I didn't want to say it wrong. So yeah. thank you to Clayton Blaha. Uh, this was kind of neat. Dude, thank you. Thank you.